And welcome to the 2021 return of the Filipino Garage podcast. Thank you for listening. We've been on a long hiatus because of the pandemic. I had to cancel a lot of sessions that I had scheduled for 2020 because I can't be having people come in person uh, at the garage. But I did get to do some by the end of the year. And this is the first first one that I actually did over Zoom. So please uh, have compassion for my lame jokes in the beginning because I was super rusty and not even just the beginning but throughout. There's some, you know, awkward jokes and it's got that Zoom delay but uh, my guest Stephanie Ballon was a great sport about it gave really good insights about the work that she's doing and I'm really excited to share this episode with y'all. Uh, Stephanie Ballon is a mental health therapist here in the Bay Area but I know her because of the work she does with Filipino Mental Health Initiative of San Mateo County. They just received a 2.6 million grant from the state of California to launch a social Social Enterprise Cultural Center for the Filipino American community here in Daly City. So, very pivotal work. And we get to chop it up about that, about her history in nonprofits and her transition to more community work in terms of the specific demographic work here in Daly City. And overall, it's a great reflective podcast with a lot of takeaways. We actually did a follow-up session, so you'll hear the main body of the podcast. It'll sound like we're ending the session. Then there's a part two that's attached at the end of this episode. So... Uh, take a listen for those listening on Spotify or other podcast apps. I actually suggest listening on 1.2 speed. You can do that in your podcast player because it actually fits pretty well in terms of the cadence of the flow. You kind of get rid of the zoom lag, a little bit of that, the digital barriers, right? But then you get good content. So I'm very excited uh, to share this and to relaunch the podcast. We've got a lot going uh, to be released in 2021. We're going to hit the ground running. So much love. Peace. We will see how it goes. And welcome, Stephanie Ballon, M-A-A-M-F-T, expressive arts therapist at Star Vista in northern San Mateo County. Welcome to the Filipino Garage, and we are actually on the Filipino Beach. <laughs> Thank you for joining. Um, okay, yeah. Thank you for having me. I am honored and privileged to join you in your beach atmosphere <laughs> this is a little learning process because you are actually the first one to be on a virtual little session because usually right i like pe having people in person and in the garage but with coronavirus it's a little uh, not the safest thing to do so 
this is the revival, and we're gonna test it out to see how you know a digital format can work. I've been kind of lightweight avoiding it because I've been saying, ah, you lose a little bit of the magic of being in person. But I also realized I think that was just like a little laziness excuse on my side uh, to like not do the podcast and also time to get to work. Not lazy. <laughs> it's not lazy. Come on, now we're in a pandemic. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Semi, semi. Give yourself some credit. Like, Aw, thank you. We're just trying to survive and, you know, yeah, you needed a break. And this is, you know, this is a good time to mm, mm, revive. Okay. So, for context, I specifically wanted to ask you to come on and share because last Thursday, the 26th? 27th. Seven. The 27th of August 2020. I was trying to think of some numerology thing. 2 plus 7. That's 1 after no 8. And 8, <laughs> 9, 2020 something. But I couldn't find any cool numerology thing. But the pivotal historical thing is that FMHI, San Mateo County, got funding for a social enterprise community center. And you are one of the co-chairs of FMHI San Mateo County along with Christy Morales Kumasawa and I wanted to get a little background and a little update like this is a big thing could you share a little bit about what just happened specifically on the last state hearing huge like beyond words to describe what happened because this was something that we have been waiting for, you know, like it's not just a, a vision of just me and Christy, but a culmination of hella folks who, who really wanted to see this happen. And so as of August 27th, we were granted $2,625,000 um, through Mental Health Services Act Innovation Funds to develop a cultural arts and wellness center and with a social enterprise model. So it's, it's, it's different from like a regular nonprofit. And I think that's part of the innovation is like really trying to look at it from a sustainability standpoint. So yeah, we're super so excited. So the cool thing about it, all right, that I saw was there was a lot of community buy-in, right? There was, we had, Hello, folks, speak up from youth. Um, the vice mayor of Daly City was there, Justin Manalo, uh, council member Rod, Dallas Magbual was there. But this is also something that's been in the works for a long time, right? Um, I kind of want to get, get that background, right? Uh, I only found out about this last year. In 2019, like around November is when I first met up with you and heard about the project, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but I know this has been in the works for a while, right? Uh, could you give me just a little background of FMHI, San Mateo County, and then how y'all started with this grant proposal and the project? Yeah, so yeah, that, that's a good place to start. So... The Filipino Mental Health Initiative of San Mateo County is actually operating under 
um, the Behavioral Health and Recovery Services um, Department in the county. So Christy and I are contracted to, um, I guess you would say, lead the charge. And we are one of nine initiatives. We're called the Health Equity Initiatives. And we are under the depart another tier called the Office of Diversity and Equity. And so, you know, you're asking about the history. I mean, really what our initiatives are intended to do, we have like three main goals of uh, decreasing cultural stigma, increasing access to um, culturally relevant uh, and linguistically appropriate mental health quality services, and um, also just engaging, uh, you know, our community in culturally responsive ways um, through education and non-traditional ways like, you know, open mics, like through the arts and, and such. So um, that, that, those are our goals. And as far as history is concerned, I mean, see, that's a, that's a loaded question. And I, um, <laughs> like, when you say, where did it start? I want to say, like, since 400 years ago, you know, <laughs> like, you know, we're building upon our um, ancestors' legacies, you know, and um, live, you know, seen and unseen and prior to even when the Filipino Mental Health Initiative was called Filipino Mental Health Initiative, right? There was a, you know, a, a core group of folks who recognized that there were health disparities in our community, you know, like 10, 15, 15 years ago. Um, uh, again, and, and so we, we just want to acknowledge that this is, didn't just start two years ago. Mm, mm -hmm. um, and if you want to know more of the history, uh, I, I'm not the best at uh, sharing the, the, the full scope of it. But like, yeah, I mean. Check like out our, uh, uh, FMHI's website. website. <laughs> 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 yeah, that, that Kuya Chris created. <laughs> so so. I, I don't know if we were explicit in saying that the Social Enterprise Committee Center is directly targeting Filipino, Filipina, Philippine ex youth to provide mental health services for them. And the social enterprise for folks who might not know, like the term is basically where there's going to be a profit generating project within the community center, which is in this case a cafe, so that the project is not grant dependent, right? So that in the long run, there's going to be funding to provide those services, those mental health services, which we don't really have that many accessible mental health services here in Daly City for co Filipino youth, like what you were saying, culturally relevant and responsive in that mm -hmm. way, right? Could mm -hmm. you, you know, break it down a little bit? Like, why is this, why does it have to be Filipino, like culturally responsive, you know, like maybe for people who don't, you know, think of it in that way, because we're kind of, you're, you're kind of entrenched in the world of mental health, right? For the layman who doesn't really think about it that much, uh, I know mental health has gotten in its due attention in the last few years, right? More versus 10 years ago, right? But there's an additional lens that you're adding in terms of culturally responsible. What does that look like? So I, I do just want to name that there are uh, 
mental health agencies that exist mm -hmm. um, that are, are trying to address our needs. Um, it's not that there's nothing that exists, you know, and we're partnering with them. So like the Daily City Youth Health Center, um, you know, our second home, like Daily City Partnership, there's a lot of work that's been done um, in, in North San Mateo County, even including Star Vista. So I just, I just want to name that because it, it, I just don't want the folks to, to, to see that, like, you know, this is just the big, you know, we're just starting something new mm -hmm. when in mm -hmm. fact we are just trying to bridge, you know, what's working um, in a centralized hub. So mm -hmm. just want to name that. Okay, my bad. I just didn't know them. <laughs> that's why, yeah, that's why, I guess that's my ignorance on that, right? right. No, it's all good. It's, yeah. it's just like, you know, there, there's a lot of great work that's being done, not, not only in mental health, but in education, like with, mm -hmm. with PEP. I mean, everybody knows the Skyline College, you know, like there's a lot going on. And, you know, this, this is kind of like a, a place where, where we can all, where all the, the minds meet. Mm -hmm. Is that that's what we're hoping for? Um, mm -hmm. And so your question was about like for the layman, like what? Um, why is it important, right? Yes. Like, and this so, this lens of the culturally responsive, culturally relevant, or culturally yeah, specific mental sure. health services. Okay, so I mean, I'll I'll break it down to even just like pers personal experience, if that's okay. Like yeah. you know. Um, Growing up bicultural, I mean, just just trying to be able to, to fit in, um, you know, your community and being like Panay, Panay and then American. You're like either not like brown enough or you're not like, you know, white enough. And, and there's not a lot of spaces that help navigate that sense of I, a cultural identity. And so over the course of, I mean, I'd say in the last like 20 years, there's been so much research being done by Kevin Nadal, EJR David about like the importance of um, knowing your roots and how there's a strong correlation between cultural identity formation and wellness, like mental health and wellness. So like, you know, Jose Rizal, uh, you, you know, the, the, the quote that, that comes to mind, you know, um, no, no history. history. Yeah. No right? self. Mm -hmm. And then no history, no self. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I think that boils down to that. Like we are collectivist people and, you know, to not know our, our narrative and the resiliency in that. And that's overshadowed by this dominant narrative that was imposed upon us through colonization. I mean, you, you know, it, it, it does something to the psyche. And so we are uh, just, again, building off the folks that are already doing this work. This is not new. Um, just trying to create a physical space where we can explore that. And with, with our youth and, and, and more, and not just our youth, because we, I mean, it is the heart of the social enterprise is focused on the youth, of course. Um, and it's, Again, when you think about it from a collectivist lens, it's intergenerational, right? The importance of recognizing, you know, your, your parents' immigrant story, like, you know, our ancestors and such, and, and back, seven generations back, seven generations forward. Hmm. So, hmm. so there's, um, I don't know, does that answer your question? 
<laughs> yeah, and I think one one aspect that this kind of reminds me about is the statistic that y'all have shared in presentations about the high suicidal ideation among uh, young Filipinos, but especially high with Filipina uh, young women, right? I think uh, if I'm remembering correctly, it was the highest rate among young Asian females are Filipina uh, women. So it's one of the highest rates. Um, I, I, I can't, uh, I, I will not speak uh, confidently in that because again, there's not a lot of research and that's why this center is important because we can track some of that mm. data mm. Um, because a lot of what we've been trying to understand is you know, what is the need of our community? And there's not a lot of resources available. And especially and when you think about Asians in general, right? Like we have been lumped, Filipinos have been lumped into this category of Asians. And mm -hmm. there's no um, disaggregated data, right? To show and ref accurately reflect the need of, like you mentioned, the Filipina youth. Mm. Right. Uh, so so that's that's what we're trying to do. But like but to speak to your um, point about like the, the disparity, you know, especially amongst our youth there. So Daily City has the highest concentration of um, Filipinos in the mainland. Mm -hmm. That trips me out. Right. Mm -hmm. Like we were so highly concentrated. And we have some of the highest uh, rates of depression and suicidal ideation, like you mentioned, but yet the lowest utilization rates. Mm. Of you know? mental health services? Of mental health services. And so what's happening there? Mm. You know, why? I mean, what I are the... You, like, what, personally. What, okay, what tell me, tell me, tell but, me. Oh, okay. So... So you were born, raised in Daly City? Yes. Okay. No, I was not born, but I was born in San Francisco. Mm, okay. Kaiser, Geary. Kaiser, Geary. <laughs> <laughs> and there's not a lot of Native SFs here anymore. There's a lot of like <laughs> implants. I mean, not hating on the implants, but, um, or transplants. I said implants. <laughs> <laughs> not hating on the implants. Not hating the on the implants. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, what you get me? So transplants. Um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I was born in San Francisco, who was bred in Daly City. And, um, you know, I, I went through my own depression and anxiety um, as a youth. And the closest thing I, I had was uh, in high school. I went to um, Sacred Heart Cathedral. I'm not trying to hate on my uh, <laughs> counselor. <laughs> just saying, what's the name like, what's the name what's the name <laughs> just, just saying like you know he was an older white male you know who could not we were not vibing at all and i was almost like re-traumatized like he was telling me like well you just need to you know the very more coming from a more individualistic kind of perspective and i'm like that does not resonate and so I didn't even seek services until like my mid twenties, 
you know and and so i'm just saying that's not a unique story mm, like that's mm. part of like the data that that reflects like you know part of the reason why folks do not uh engage in uh westernized approaches of of um mental health is because uh yeah does it like you're not engaging with folks who are who look like you who, who understand your culture you know you're almost like back in this same power dynamic of like yeah all that so, when when they say low utilization rates right what are the things to utilize right what are the those practices that are that they're saying even if with the high rates of depression suicide ideation what are the services that they are measuring against that these communities are not using so these services defined are like evidence-based practices such as like talk therapy right so mm -hmm. what it would typically look like is that you go to um, a provider or you make a phone call to request for support to access a clinician to talk about your issues who does that like i mean that's not <laughs> that's not a very that's like i mean like if you didn't you know you know what you don't know like how are you supposed to know how to navigate that let alone a youth you know to be able to access like the you know culturally responsive resources so and then you said as fmhi there's also a stigma uh mm -hmm. that you're working against right what have you seen in terms of the stigma within the filipino community i want to ask you that question <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> i know this is like... <laughs> you're the one with the mft ma what was yours uh, you're with letters. the ma and amft there you go. What yeah. is that? What is that? Mama Awesome and Awesome Mama Filipino Teacher. That was a... Is that what... Right? I like that. That, that sounds better. <laughs> that, that makes more sense, actually, because, like, I really don't know how to define, like, AMFT, MA, all that. But, yeah. I'm INFP. Is that... MB is this MBTI personality? <laughs> what if I just start putting that in my resume, right? <laughs> Christian Guerrero, comma, INFP. <laughs> yeah, don't people uh, do that. I think that could be something. Though, that you know, could be something. That could be something. Yeah. You're, you're onto something, Kuya. <laughs> uh, so what's the question again? <laughs> <laughs> question is, what are ways I can boost my resume? <laughs> no, the question well, was, what did you see? What are you seeing in terms of the stigma that you're fighting against, right? Sure. Uh, working yeah. within the mental health field, especially in context of the Filipino community and providing these culturally responsive and relevant services. Yeah, so I think the best way I can describe this is through like one of the youth I worked with at um, Delhi City Youth Health Center at Westmore. I mean, of course, I'm not going to name their name. Um, but it was a lot. I would see like the, this theme around a generational gap, like the inability to speak to their parents about their depression or their anxiety. Like it wasn't real. You know, and, and specifically for this youth, this Panay, um, she 
she was 13, you know, so she's a freshman. And um, yeah, she just had recently immigrated from the Philippines and reuniting with her parents. So her parents came, came through earlier, you know, like it's a very typical story where, mm-hmm. folk, you know, mm-hmm. the parents come to the States and, you know, try to establish, you know, a foundation and then they will sponsor, you know, the, mm-hmm. the rest of their family. And so she grew up with her, her, um, her Lola. Mm. And that's who she knew as her caregiver. She has an attachment to her. And then for her to all of a sudden, in her, in her one of the most um, transformative stages of, of her life, because the youth, I mean, the adolescent youth stage, is a time where you're trying to understand your identity. Mm. You're relating to others. You're kind of detaching from your parents and like, you know, figuring out like how to, how to be a free thinker. Right. And, and so she, she was in that moment of transition of understanding that and then going to live with her parents who she hadn't known for like seven, like how many, like almost a decade. And then reuniting with them and then trying to understand the language you know, uprooted, she doesn't have her community, she doesn't have her Lola, you know, and now she's just trying to get to know her parents. And so with that comes a lot of stress and anxiety and, and depression and like going to this new high school where it's like, you know, primary language or is English and such, right? She doesn't have community there. And so she, she sought out, um, services through uh, the wellness counseling center at, at the high school. And, and a lot of it was like this, just this um, misalignment of the definition of struggle, you know, and when we talk about cultural stigma, it's like, you know, from, from her parents' point of view, it's like, you know, well, this is what I had to do in order to come to the States and, um, you know, you should be, you should be thankful, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. for all that. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it, uh, it's just like, it's just, it's about like, you know, the, and then you don't talk about your feelings either. Right. Mm-hmm. Historically, you just do not, you know, mm-hmm. who talks about like their emotions mm-hmm. um, and, and during a family dinner. <laughs> So what have you seen to be helpful in bridging those intergenerational gaps within the context of like Filipino culture? Dialogue. Like really providing opportunities for the youth and the parents to have uh, a safe space to to really speak to their stories, you know, it's just like, it, it, it's like Quentuhan, you know, like s- storytelling, like just mm-hmm. really being curious about, you know, so what was it like, you know, coming here to the States or, you know, for the parents to be like open to hear, like my struggle is different from yours. This is, this is what I'm experiencing here in the States, you know? Um, and it, it, again, it's, it's not a one size fits all, I just want to name that like it, it doesn't always look like that but just creating 
more non-traditional spaces where we can just talk about mental health in general. Have you seen examples of that already? Have y'all been able to facilitate oh, yeah. those? Yeah. Oh yeah. So um, we had a community health forum where um, it was back 2012, and it was cross-generational, and there um, were folks that were speaking, like providers. And actually, I was one of the the people that spoke from lived experience so not from the amft ammma whatever <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know? I, I actually spoke to you know my depression and, and um what it would be like to be to be seen by my um parents and you know to be uh, to recognize that this was real for me and and then i had um not just me but there's other folks you know like other people coming forward like parents adults who were like, wow, you know, my niece or my, my nephew's going through this. And, you know, there was just a recognition of like, that this is a real thing. We need more of this. Uh, yeah. And then in addition, you know, we had like an open mic. Uh, we have, we've had quite a few open mics, but like through Phil's coffee, mm -hmm. you know, like we, we, um, in Westboro. And Westboro, yeah. And the spot that has taken so much of my money. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so sloppy. Yeah. And that was that was well received. Um, again, not just by the youth, but like the the elders. There were there were folks there that just was were really wanting to listen and understand. So mm. it's just creating those spaces. So I would guess that those experiences lead into somewhat of the vision that FMHI has for the space, for the Social Enterprise Community Center, right? Like, could you give me a little rundown on what that vision looks like uh, for, the, for this project, where it's at right now, but what the vision y'all are working towards? Right. <clears throat> so... Uh, the way that it's been framed, that it's focused, like I said, on on the youth, and and the heart of it is the youth. But again, we we want to frame it as if it's an intergenerational space. And so, if you think about, um, I'm gonna give an example, like the Bayanian Community Center in San Francisco. Beautiful example of, you know, how they're doing it there. We want to replicate something like that here in, in, in Daly City or North San Mateo County, where, um, you know, there are classes provided for um, all ages, you know, and, and so that that's part of it. So I just want to name that too, because I think like, you know, when we talked about what the center could look like, it was mainly youth focused. But the, again, the, the heart of this, um, programming is called school to career programming so it's like on the job training for youth mm. to be able to access um, resources uh, in um, career development entrepreneurship skill building uh, financial wellness uh, you know Rite of passage, like understanding your your history, and um, 
you know, mental health and physical wellness, you know, so it's like addressing all parts of the youth and in one space. And, you know, we're leaning on the, um, the lead, the business leaders in the community that have already established themselves here in, you know, North San Mateo County that are, you know, Filipina, Filipino, Filipinex. So that's, that's the difference, I think, like with how other programs have been structured is that we're really trying to engage, you know, our, our community and um, not just, you know, education, but in terms of like uh, entrepreneurship. I like that school to career pipeline that you just said, right? Uh, I think there's a little, you know, we're lacking a little bit of that where uh, sometimes it's, I'll just name it, predetermined careers, stereotypical that's pushed onto Filipino youth. Not that it's bad, but a lot of, even my mom wanted me to be a nurse, right? Uh, And this is kind of, allowing space for other options, right? Like you were talking about entrepreneurship skills. Why was the, that this social enterprise framework something that wa- was something that y'all kind of pursued? Like, where did that start off? Where's, where's the inspiration behind that? Uh, <clears throat> so I, I'd say it's just, uh, well, my background is in um, nonprofit. I'm, dating myself for like 20 years <laughs> non-profit um and hey <laughs> uh, you know during quarantine i'm also dating myself oh my. ah. 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 Okay, okay okay different kind of dating but that's not the kind of dating i'm talking about <laughs> but yeah so like you know it's been it's been years of like just seeing like witnessing you know this um the scarcity mindset of funding, you know, you're, you're constantly chasing um, the dollar and, you know, trying to write grants and, and, and all that. And I thought there's anything wrong with that. I mean, if you have a strong team that can do that, then great. If you have the infrastructure to do it, then awesome. But I've oftentimes seen that um, really um, strong uh, programming has, uh, not been you know sustainable because there's a reliability on one source of funding one or two sources of funding and so we're trying to uh think about okay how do we diversify the funding streams you know while we can't chase you know state government city funding all the time you know there's not dedicated funds what better way to do that if it's like, you know, the, the community can invest a dollar back into operating uh, funds. So, I mean, it's been done. I mean, you look at Delancey Street Foundation in the city, um, old school cafe. I mean, this is, again, this is not new. It's, I mean, they say it's innovative, but really um, we're just like building uh, inspired on. by, yeah, we're inspired by like what's been done already but there's just not something specific to our uh, community. How did you get into community organizing and nonprofits? If we're going to br- bring it down a little bit to that personal level, 
what's the background there? You said you've been active for like 20 years. Has it been in Daly City area? Have you moved around? Like, wh- wh- where did that start? Ay, nako. <laughs> Do we have time? Like, we have time. We have time. Let's dive deep. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, so, community organizing. I mean, I think it go- goes back like way. I'm thinking about like, you know, when my mom, like at six years old, you know, we would be doing like food drives, you know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I think it dates back like as long as that. Like, mm-hmm. I think um, I've been inspired by my my parents, my sister, my brother, you know, who who have been super dedicated to community. I mean, how do you define community organizing anyway? Or at least this work, because I just want to kind of get a, a snapshot of like a wider view. Because mm-hmm. when I talk to people who are already in the, in the field or in the depths of their career, like you said, over decades of work, right? You know, sometimes it's a little bit hard to see the, the, where it started. And I, I'm very interested in that. Right, because we I talk to different people in different careers, different fields, mm-hmm. and they've mm-hmm. already spent years in there, right? And mm-hmm. it's it's cool to see and it's inspiring to see, though also I think it's also inspiring to see where it grew from, right? Mm-hmm. For younger people who might be in similar spaces, exposed to similar things, they might not immediately see themselves in like tw- they twenty years from now. Right, Mm -hmm. but what were the beginning inklings and that entrance into that world of this world of service? You're in a service career, right? Right. Yeah. So in my past life, or uh, prior to entering the mental health field, I was actually um, uh, in transitional housing. So I was in. um, I won't name the name. (laughs) A nonprofit (laughs) that um, offered. Transitional housing for uh, for families, individuals and families. And I was the director of like a 24 unit, actually different, different units, um, uh, apartment units, but offering like at least four to six months of housing to help folks jump back into, um, you know, um, their own space. Because, you know, San Mateo County has the highest standard of living, right? I just want to name that. And... Like, higher you know, than higher than San Francisco? It, well, it was back then, like uh, um. t- ten years ago. So I don't know. It might be I, I haven't looked at the statistics lately, but back then when I was working with this agency, um, you know, we had a lot of first-time homeless folks, and um, <clears throat> that that's really where my survey. I mean, where I was starting to begin to think about like, where do I want to devote my service to? Hmm. And um, I, I started recognizing that because um, I was in middle management, I was a director of housing and I was amongst, you know, primarily middle-aged white men. And as you know, like folks who are low income are uh, communities of color. And I just rec- was, was seeing, like, I, I don't know if I was tokenized or what, but I was the only, like, woman 
young woman of color in management and just seeing like this was like kind of like a mock microcosm of systemic oppression just gonna name that like it was there were there was a lot of inequity that was happening and i was trying to to think about ways how do we um bring in more cultural awareness inclusivity and such and um so yeah i called on um my brother who, who was, you know, he, that, that was his craft or that was his, uh, his gift. But, you know, we contracted him to, to come through and, and then like through one of his sessions to uh, talk about diversity and cultural awareness, I realized that I was a minority in this thought and I didn't, I didn't feel a part of It, it just wasn't aligning with me anymore. And then uh, an opportunity came up where um, th there was, uh, what's it called? It was through Compass Point. It was called Next Generation Leaders of Color. It was an institute, a year long um, programming where um, it was a cohort where uh, folks within the <coughs> folks of color in the health and human services area came together and were able to access like individual coaching, like peer coaching education. And that's where I learned about like systemic oppression and like having a language around um, these health inequities. Was this a program? Was this a fellowship kind of? Yeah, it was. Yeah, this was there was something through the the agency that I was working with where mm. they 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 said, "Hey, would you be interested in this? Like, is this is this something you know?" Because I I would get uh I guess based on the size of the agency, there was a um a stipend uh, that would a sliding scale, and it was worth like thirteen thousand dollars, but they were able to get it for a thousand, you know. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, well, I'll do it. <laughs> like, why not? Right. Um, more skills. Awesome. I didn't, I didn't know what to expect. And that's when I, I think that was like the, the turning point for me to get into this field because in that space, I was amongst folks that looked like me or had similar um, stories working within this uh, system. Mm. And uh, like the, the racial injustices and inequities like through um, health. So that's where I pretty much had my uh, career coaching to get out of that space into mental health. Was this already after you had done your grad program? You're already a... No, that was part of, that was part of the, the plan. So... Um, I had not even considered going back to grad school until this program. Oh, yeah. So yeah. where did you do? Where did you do your undergrad, and what did you do? Oh, uh, so I went to the University of Washington, and I majored in sociology. Damn, you yeah. went all the way up there from mm -hmm. Daly City. You bounced. I had to. I wanted to be. I was like, that was far enough from like all like being with my parents. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. 
So no. you, so your experience within that transitional housing spot, like realizing kind of the the momentum of a lack of diversity. Once you realize that, made you want to shift into more of a mental health career. Good question, right? Because there's, I didn't clarify how I even got into mental health. So what I was seeing in uh, transitional housing, working with homeless families and individuals, was that there was a high rate of recidivism, right? Mm, like people mm -hmm. were cycling back into our programming. And I'm like, what is happening here? Are we really addressing the issue? And to me, intuitively, I was like, and I'm sure like other folks felt this too, but it was like around mental health. Like, are they being offered quality mental health services to address, um, you know, family dynamics or, you know, their depression and anxiety, you know, being homeless, mm -hmm. you know? And it wasn't until uh, one of them, um, this is, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Lori Rappaport, one of my mentors, like partners with Notre Dame University. She uh, is an expressive art therapist. I didn't even know that existed. You know, that's the thing. Like I had this passion of uh, being in the arts and community service and wellness and all that, but I didn't realize there was a field that merged all the things. Mm. And she was the first one to help me realize like, oh yeah, like that, that's a field. And so I partnered with her to support the families who live there because we had a, um, what's called, a, it, it was an organic garden, right? In Menlo Park. And there was not, I mean, there was not much life there. I mean, there's nothing, there's no arts or anything, nothing to really engage the families to be in that space. And so we thought of this idea, um, it's called like a stepping stone project where the families would come together and create um, stepping stones that reflected their journey being in this space. So it's like they have like a, some, some sense of proprietorship, like they ownership over this space where they can put their stamp, right? Like mm -hmm, that, they, mm -hmm. that they, they would leave there to inspire other families that are coming through. So just mm -hmm. to create more art. So it was like an art installation, community art installation project that um, opened up all these doors of like, okay, well, what else can we do to leverage the arts for healing? Because that was like one of the most successful events uh, in my um, time there at the, at the shelter, which to see like these families coming together and spending quality time with their kids and creating like, these stepping stones and you know anyway so that's so that's yeah. how you got into the field of creative arts therapy mm -hmm. and okay. then that's why you went back to get your uh for grad school with that vision of hey let me connect creative arts with community service Yes. Uh, yes. So <laughs> I see that. There's something else. There's something else. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And so there. Sorry, I'm just thinking about um, 
really when this vision of leveraging the arts and the center idea and such and moving into mental health came from a dream mm. Mm. <laughs> when I was 19 years old. 19? Yeah. <laughs> Were you working at the, that shelter already? No, no, this is like in college. So, okay, okay. okay. So, because <laughs> I don't want to claim this, this whole vision as my own, but like, I mean, the reason why I've stuck with it is based on literally the dream. a dream. Okay, tell me the dream. Tell me the dream. So, 19 years old, um, I had this like vivid, visceral, like dream. Uh, I mean, I, I really embody, like, I, I felt like, oh my gosh, this is something I need to write down when I wake up. And so it was like 4 a.m. in the morning. And you know, like, this is Saturday too, right? You remember? Yeah. Damn. No, because I was thinking like, oh, you know, maybe I should be drinking or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, you know, like college life, ninth, you know, it's Saturday. Like, why am I waking up 4 a.m.? And like, I, I just, I remember like wanting to document what I saw in this dream and what I felt. And I, I, I took one of um, these brown paper bags that, that held the, I don't forget what they're called. When you take the tests, I don't know if you did that because you're a younger generation. <laughs> the um, test. The form. Scantron. Scantron. <laughs> I'm not that young. I know, oh my but... God, I know Scantrons. <laughs> Do they, were they still? They I don't think that? they use that anymore. I, no, I don't know. okay. They pro okay everything's this... probably digital now, but I've yeah, done my scantrons. Digital. Okay, okay, sorry. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've even uh, was inputted the answers into the scantron machine while I was helping doing teaching stuff. Okay, okay. so you know okay. scantron. But it's not brown. No, the brown paper bag, like you would get buy scantrons and you would. Oh, uh, I mean, put it they would. Yeah, 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 the university bookstore or whatever. So they still have brown paper bags. <laughs> no. Back then. Okay. Well, okay, okay. They still have brown paper bags. Still... I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm not in the you know university, <laughs> so I don't know if they just give them like the scantron. Anyway, anyway. the point is, uh -huh. it's the paper bag that I had next to my bed, and I took a pen and I drew out what I saw. And it was like this, it was this cafe. I mean, it was like um, walking into this cafe that was powered by the youth and you could see on the walls like artwork and um, there was an open mic in the corner and, you know, a clear like circle tabletops with, um, glass tabletops with um, like jewelry and, and, and other arts and crafts that were for sale, you know, like this is something like that the youth created um, that was on display, you know, to talk about their, their identity and such. And then you know, people would come into the cafe and they, they sit down at one of these glass tabletops and you know, they look down and they see like, you know, this necklace or something. And they're like, oh, you know, this, wow, you know, let's, you know, it's just like you're, you, you feel good about investing a dollar when you go into this space, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that's going back into community and mm -hmm. there, there's like 
just the circularity of things. And, it, and to me, I mean, back then, I didn't know that that meant sustainability, but that's what it felt like, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, the consumer can walk in, you know, they're, they're purchasing their coffee, they're buying, they want to buy, you know, the artwork made by the youth that's helping to power the programming for the youth. That's 19 years old, right? What, so I'm 42. What, what? I'm 42. So that's like two decades ago, which they didn't even have the name for like social enterprising. I don't think back then, maybe. What happened in the dream? Do you remember? Was there anything that happened or it's just walking through the cafe? It's just walking through, like literally like sitting down on this glass tabletop. I remember seeing like, um, like earrings and necklaces and things that were created by the youth and then like all the artwork. And in the background, you could hear um, someone doing spoken word and, you know, people gathering their coffee and, and all this stuff. And yeah. At 2000. That's the year 2000. 2000? No. Is it 2000? 20, no. Or early 1998, probably. If, it's, yeah, if you're yeah. 42, 1999, like that. Oh, you do the math. I'm not good at that. That's the... <laughs> the and... Were you doing spoken word in college? I did not do spoken word, but poetry was definitely one of my my forms of medicine for sure. Do you still have yeah. that brown paper bag? Shit, no. That's <laughs> what I like amongst all my colored, all the moving. Like, yeah, I yeah. wish I kept it. I, I, you know, but I, I remember it. I can see it on the paper bag, you know. And and so then, like, here's the thing. So. That was the vision that I felt like, oh my gosh, like this needs to happen. And I held on to that dream and had different iterations of that, like throughout my career where I was like, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to partner up with someone and we're going to start a cafe and uh, a restaurant and all this stuff. And like, yeah, there were just so many different iterations. And, and failures. Or attempts. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah. attempts mm, like, mm, mm. You know. So. I think it's important to note those little failures or learning lessons. Learning lessons, that, yeah. Right? Yeah. Of like the attempts and we're at a point where we're seeing now, you know, a manifestation of that little 19-year-old girl's dream, right? Well... That's interesting. I, I'm just thinking because we've talked uh, off air about different dreams and stuff like that, right? And all the dreams I remember are, are me flying or maybe I can one day fly. Maybe that's uh, that's one of my things that I'm going to work towards about flying. What do you think about do that? Do it. <laughs> I mean, if you want to do it, like... Just kidding. <laughs> no, I but... Mean... I think it's I think it's interesting like that you've been able to keep up with that kind of you know the the dream of that when you were young right because sometimes we it's easy to like have at least for me I'll speak for me I'll have a vision of some oh, I'm gonna build build this and then I'm gonna uh, be manic about it for two months then later on I'm like ah oh, okay. I don't really want to do that. Then I'll get another little, oh, I'm going to build this. And then later on, I'm like, nah, I don't really want to. But you've been able to kind of continue working on this vision, right, throughout the years. Uh, 
I know when we talked, right? And you brought up your brother in when with that transition from the transitional housing, right? But could you share a little bit about his influence in this center and this vision, right? Um, oh, yeah. Because sure. I know you've told me that it's been a big impact. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think if you were to ask me uh, what kept that 19-year-old vision alive um, is is all rooted in faith and spirituality, but also like live people like my brother. Um, he, he was an activist in his uh, side of the, the nation. He, um, he's done a lot of work. He was in the that. East Coast? He was on the East Coast, yeah. I mean, yeah, on the East Coast. But he, I mean, he worked throughout the, you know, the States, like people would contract him and stuff. But he, it was rooted in social justice and cultural awareness, diversity, and inclusivity. Um, he was a facilitator, a consultant for like what, Forbes, what is, what's, I don't know, the company, Forbes 500, what are they called? Forbes, the, the magazine or Forbes, the, the yeah. one that, that makes the list? Like the yeah, top, the richest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he, he, he did, you know, consulting for folks like that, like in terms of inclusivity and uh, cultural awareness and such. And so he was on the other side of the country. And while we were on opposite ends, we were still doing this similar work. Like we were very aligned in our passions. And, and when I shared this dream with him, he he didn't doubt it. He was like the first one to be like, this is not a pipe dream. Like, yeah, let's do this. You know, like let's figure it out. And um, he was my accountability partner, I guess you would say. Um, every time we would talk on the phone or he would come back home, you know, to visit, we'd have like late night talks about, you know, so what are you envisioning? What's your next step and, and such. And um, so this was, he was the one, I guess you would say, that would uh, was the fire behind this. And um, <sighs> sorry, I get emotional. Oh, good. Because, because, okay. um, yeah, he passed away in 2013, and I think that was another moment uh, that marked, like, yeah, we need to do this. Um, and he's been guiding me ever since. So, yeah. I know. Yeah. And so, thank you for sharing. I know he's, like, been a big part of your, like, journey and reflecting on this, right? Uh, could you tell me, like, when the work for this specific funding source started, right? Because, uh, okay. yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I know it took a while to even just write the proposal, right? Mm -hmm. And when I read it, I was like, oh, dang, this is good. This <laughs> shit was like, like, you know, I've been part of different nonprofits and I've done grant writing and reading and assess and I've never liked it. Right, because <laughs> I, uh, I, I I like talking, right? And mm -hmm. but and I I'll just write for essays and things that I'm you know that I'll do and I can do it. But then when when it's time to write the grant, I'm like, God, oh, do we have a grant writer? <laughs> can someone do this? And when I read yours and the the one submitted by FMH, I was like, damn, this shit is dope, right? And oh. 
like shout yeah. out, right? You wrote a letter of rec for me, right? Uh, for some of my applications, and then when I read it, I was telling you, I was like, "Damn, this shit is hella well written." I was like, "Who the fuck is this Christian Guerrero?" He <laughs> sounds hella dope because you have a way with words and and yeah. combining both like community work, but you know, writing to the to the way that people assess, right? Like understanding that. There are these systems in place that sometimes have barriers of entry because of your technical skill in writing, right? Okay. And then right. Um, being able to write to that is super powerful, super important to have that, and you have that skill, right? And so could you give me just a little overview of what, what the, the background in terms of when this specific iteration of that vision started and writing through that? Oh, yeah, that was um, pretty exciting, actually, because we, we didn't even know that this type of funding was available, right? So prior to even applying to all of this, we had already had a strategic planning retreat with FMHI, like Christy and I, we introduced this whole idea about the social enterprise. And again, this is dating back, like even, you know, 10 years back where we, we were doing another strategic planning and we were envisioning, oh, what would we like to have? What's the trajectory for FMHI and to have a center, right? And then fast forward, here we are, like, let's do this. And planned with, uh, we, were, we were in the process of doing the stakeholder buy-in process um, in 2018. And the county, like I said, we're, we're um, supported by the county and they know like what, what we're working on. And Doris, you know, the coordinator, our doula Doris. Doula Doris, shout out. Doula, shout out to her. You know, she's like, hey, you know, um, this might sound like up your alley, like aligned with, you know, what y'all are trying to work on with the center. Cause we had envisioned it to be like a five, six year process. Um, but we initially wanted to make sure that it, there was a stakeholder buy-in process. So like having a, a needs assessment, you know, focus groups, surveys and such to make sure. And then the blessings from our elders who are doing this work or have done it. Um, and then it just was timing. She said, hey, this is coming up. This only comes up every two or three years. So if you're gonna do it, do it now. And I, I was like, shit, okay, let's just do it. <laughs> like, I was telling Chrissy, like, fuck, should we, should we just like apply for it? And she's she like, yeah, I submitted it. And I was like, okay, fuck it. I don't know, let's, we'll see what happens. Then, you know, three months later, we find out that we were the top five uh, projects and that there was like actually no, um, you know, um, they weren't like criticizing it or anything. Like they were just like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, you know? So that's how it started. And then that's how we uh, came up with the tribe advisory council, you know, like hella folks 
like a core group of eight to 10 that just dedicated themselves in the last two years to like see this move forward, you know? That makes me think about the importance of having advocates within the system, if we're going to use like the term the system, right? But basically how Doris reached out and was saying, hey, this is very relevant and knowing your work, right, to access institutional funding, right? And yeah. it, 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 it does really make me think about the, the fact that maybe before, right, let's say a few decades back, you don't have these people in positions of to access power, right? This is capital power, right? right. To be able to even advocate for you or tell you, let you know, right? Hey, there's mm -hmm. this opportunity. And that's a big thing. And to Huge. imagine that it's, it boils down to an individual in some cases of reaching out and saying, hey, apply to this, right? Yes. And making that accessible for smaller communities or more specific advocacy groups like FMHI to access. I think that's super important. And so allies, you know, allies, allyship. Yep. And it allyship. makes it makes me, you know, kind of think back to your story about being in that other group where it's not that diverse in that transitional housing. People in the positions of power maybe don't have the context of understanding the lived experiences of even the people they're serving because they're not from that demographic. They're not from that background. I think that circles back to what you were saying about there's a big difference with having a therapist that has a similar background as you, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm very hopeful to see where this pans out, where the uh, social enterprise community center can go in terms of delivering those services. Could you, in, in a mini transition, I asked you to uh, share a little poem because, you know, we've talked a little bit more on the project side uh, so far. And I kind of, you know, like diving into the personal with the folks who uh, share on the podcast. Would you like to share a little bit? Oh, yeah. Of your poem? I, um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> For Kuya, anything. <laughs> of course, we're on this nice beach. It's a good yeah. ambiance. Yeah, um, so this poem was written um, actually on my return back from the Philippines right before the pandemic in February. Mm. Why did you go to the uh, Philippines? Because my uncle, my dad's brother, passed away. And, Condolences. Yeah, thank you. And so just, just some background. Like my, my dad is one of ten. Uh, Damn, siblings. siblings. Yeah. My Lola, like, I was Panay. I'm like, damn, I got one. She got, got ten. One. <laughs> like, damn. damn. More power to you, Lola. <laughs> like, shit, ten. shit. I know, right? Ten. I'm like, even three. But anyway, so, um, yeah, one of ten, and he, my dad, um, was the one that assumed the role of um, fatherhood, like, amongst his siblings. And so he... Was he one of the older ones? No, he was, like, I think the... the I, sorry, I don't know, like, exactly. But, like, third 
you know, third or fourth, you know, eldest. Yeah. yeah. But he was Manong, you know, in their eyes. Like, he was the one who helped take care of, like, all the siblings um, when, when his dad passed away. Um, and so he, he immigrated, like, in 1970. Yeah, when my brother was born. Um, around the civil rights, the, the end of the civil rights movement. And, uh, yeah, like was only one out of the 10 to come to the States to send money back home. Again, not a unique story. And, and so he has been battling with like, you know, I mean, he's, he's 81 now and doesn't get to see his family as often. Right. And was any of his siblings able to immigrate also? No. So no. he was the only one of the siblings only to immigrate one. all these years. Mm. All these years, the only one. And so he's slowly seen throughout the years um, the passing of his sisters and brothers. And some he was not able to attend. And, you know, he's 81. And so we thought, like, you know, and this is, he, he needed to be there, mm-hmm. you know. For, for my uncle, Percy. And um, uh, my mom, she's immunocompromised and she's would not be able to travel. And so I went with him. Um, and uh, to support him, but also to just, you know, obviously pay my respects and see family. And so this, this poem is about this whole process of grieving and going um, through the rituals that are very different from the way we grieve here in the States. You know, you have like days of um, being at the chapel, you know, there's a, there's a space up top where you sleep, you know, and you know what I'm saying, right? Like mm-hmm. there's just like the food process. all the time, yep. full process, there's food, you know, and like we're, we're even celebrating in, in, in the, in the chapel where we you know, um, uncles that and stuff um singing dancing stuff so anyway this is a poem about that process um okay i don't have a title but let me go the body took a moment to catch up the spirit knew it was home eyes locked souls rooted into each other into the land Salt water nourishes the barren, struggles meet, rolling down the cheek, meeting the corner of the flip. Flames flicker, sweetness burns to bitter. Mouths barely break open, truths finally spoken, speaking to the hearts broken, spilling into the ocean, telling stories, souls telling. Generations back and forward, they danced, they laughed, Moments suspended in time, one becomes many, all are one. Once fragmented, they collide, they coalesce into shallow streams, they remember, they return, restoration lies at the shore. Mm, snaps to that. Was, was, was that the, one of the first times you've gone back in a while to the Philippines? Uh, the last time I went was actually with my mom in, uh, 2015. Mm. So not too long ago. Um, 
again, it's the first time actually I met my Lola on my mom's side. Oh, really? So it was the because like she she was ninety three at the time, and we thought that she might she may be passing, and I had like my brother and sister knew her like they met her and I was the last one and so I was like I gotta meet her <laughs> you mm-hmm. like and my, and then my dad couldn't go so then I was like yeah mom I'll, I'll you know let's go see her we don't know um what the future holds and so that was an opportunity for me to 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 meet the other side of the family you know, yeah. that that story I think you've brought up the phrase a bunch of times where not uncommon, right, but very relevant to our community, these transnational families where, like, crazy. Imagine one one out of ten siblings to be the one to immigrate and even your experience of being of that the first time meeting your Lola on your mom's side, right? And uh, there's definitely... A lot of things there for you personally to like process and come to terms with but it's also something very common amongst a lot of Filipino families here right where they have they've been separated because of the need to work right here in the US and right. end up sending money back right um, I wanted to ask as a coming more from a personal uh, lens, right? You're in these service positions and doing these work, right? And I know that, at least from what I've seen, it's it can be very heavy and tiring, especially being in service or being in therapeutic role, the role of the therapist, mm-hmm. right? Like, what do you do to maintain yourself uh, being in these service roles all the time? Yes, very important question. Um, and I would say a lot of it um, is a work in progress. It's like a moment to moment practice, right? Like it's never, for me at least, like a, a, a formula, like it, it, it's like comes up as I need it. And so when I, when I say that, I'm thinking about like my son, <laughs> Because um, I don't know if you know, but like hugging and mm. laughing, like those mm-hmm. are like uh, serotonin, endorphin generating sources. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, while that's not exercise or like you know uh, what you would think of as like you know self care and such, um, I mean that, that 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 that's one of my sources is like. Um, really having that um, sacredness of, of family and, and, and holding each other. Mm. I mean, it's, mm. it's as simple as that, you know? Mm. Um, and then, of course, you, you want to ensure that there's other parts of your um, being that are nourished. And of course, like, you know, um, the, the walking and being out in nature, un- this is this is what's hard though in the pandemic. I'm sorry, it's because it, that's 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 what I leaned on was like hiking, and like um, doing my walks. But especially with um, well, one the pandemic, but then like with the you know fires and it's just been 
and tough. Um, but you know, you just, you, you find other ways to, to be physically active. For instance, like my, my son, he, he likes to do um, yoga in the morning. Oh, um, really? Yeah. Cosmic, oh, your son? cosmic kids. Okay. Any parent out there, I highly recommend this. It's like work out for you and work out for your kid. Like he, he loves it. Cosmic, cosmic kids. kids. That's a, yeah. what? That's like an online platform. YouTube. Oh, YouTube. and then they run you through, they run your kid through yoga. Yeah, but they, they do it in the context of um, storytelling. Oh. So you're like going through these stories. You're, you know, like talking about, I mean, it's like Spider-Man to Moana, like all the... the really? The, yeah. I might enjoy that. I'm on, Seriously, it's fun. It's right, super fun. Look, Cosmic Kids, okay. Yeah. So just saying physically active, I mean, um, but I would also say like meditation and prayer has been the root of like my um, resilience and like uh, re restoration. When you say prayer, are you religious? Are you, what, what does I, that I, look I, like for you? Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm necessarily religious. I'm spiritual. I, I, um, I have personal practices that are not necessarily attached to any um, religion. But then uh, when I think about, uh, again, this is like, I'm still learning. I, I'm, I'm a student in this space of spirituality. Um, I connected to um, Babylon studies, you know, and mm -hmm. uh, our indigenous ways of healing and connecting to spirit and interconnectivity, uh, I, I'm in that process right now of, of uh, reconnecting to that. Um, but it's always been in me, even since I was like younger, uh, I, I never felt like I was aligned with Roman Catholicism. And I was always the outsider and, and saying like, you know, what about this? What about that? And then years forward, realized like, oh, Okay, well, my, my connection to nature and people and spirits, seen and unseen, like that's, that's actually inherent in our, our culture. Um, so I'm just in that process of... Uh, what do you say to people who might not feel that like for, for their own? Like how would they find that connection to spirit like that? Like... I'll, I'm asking selfishly, right? Because you have you have dope dreams, and sometimes <laughs> I don't have no dream. Like I even have asked like my Lolo to visit me in my dream, but no one comes a knocking, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, <laughs> nothing's happening in my dreams, or you know, I'm also I also believe in like some higher power in some way, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't feel connected in like you know uh, shout out to Ate Marnell who talks about the the, whisper the whispers of the, of the divine. divine I'm sitting around here I'm like where the fuck are these whispers <laughs> I don't hear no whispers but I want to right so what are from your personal perspective right mm -hmm. or ways to connect with that I mean I feel like it's such an individual thing I mean you're going through your process I I I was in those moments too. I'm like, fuck, just give me a sign, like 
something, you know, didn't get it. And then hella disappointed. But then, you know, um, I think it's just for me, um, I've always leaned on um, being connected to uh, my, like people who have passed, like my ancestors, right? Like, um, I, I, I can honestly say because uh, Tita Ro- my, my Tita Rory that passed away, I mean, she wasn't even actually like um, blood related, but she was one person who I um, highly respected and I could talk to her about anything. And, you know, when she passed away, I would always talk to her. And for some reason, I felt like, you know, she would answer, you know, and just being open to to all of the possibilities of what divine messaging could look like. It could be through a person, through be a, through oh, an Instagram post, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it could be, you know, like, oh, my shoe fell off on this way, you know, like, I mean, just, just like really attuning to the possibilities. And um, it doesn't always have to look like this, voice from the sky that's like you know talking to you but um for me it's numbers actually too um mm. yeah numerology you were talking about earlier but Mitch. that's a whole nother session i mean a whole we, nother we, session. We have like yeah that's whole another session it's, it's wow. like we've been talking for hell long and <laughs> interesting okay 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 maybe yeah. we could have like a a focus group session of people mm-hmm. who are a little more connected and then we can dive. No, seriously. Yeah, no, seriously. Like, there's hella people, you know. I'm not going to well, name them. Uh, uh. But within our Kapwa uh, uh, Soul sessions, like, that are into numerology. And I have an interesting story about when I went back to the Philippines with my mom yeah. about Lolo. Because I never knew him. But, you know, when they okay, sit what's around the, story? the table. Okay. okay, okay. What's the story? You want to know the story? Okay. <laughs> You're not just going to tell me I have an interesting story and then go <laughs> to the next topic. What's the story? No, I thought we were going to save it for the next. No, I want to. If you have time, I'm down to. I'm down. Okay. I'm okay. down. I want to hear the story. And then you can edit whatever. Okay. 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 So, dude, it's so trippy because I don't, I didn't know. So like two, what was that? Like, like, like a couple years ago. You know, I never knew when we would go back to the Philippines. It was always on my dad's side, right? We never visited my mom's side. This is the first time I went to Lawag. Lawag. Where is that? Lawag. Ilocos. Oh, what the heck? I am, yeah. I am uh, disappointing my Ilocano side for not... <laughs> Oh, no Surat, like oh. that that area you know it's and it's interesting because like my partner um was born four miles from where my mom grew up isn't that cool Lawag, anyway. Lawag city i should know this the wag okay okay Come on now, bro. okay 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 sorry sorry no, i'm kind of uh what's this called problematic that i'm vegan centric <laughs> in the, that's the only Iloka, Ilocos place that I know. Oh, cause you're. Oh, that's Ilocosur, Lawag. Yeah. Oh, Lawag. No, Norte, right? Nor- or is that Norte. still in Ilocosur? Norte. Oh, Norte, okay. 
So I'm ilocosur. That's why. That's why. You know that's what? Why. And and you know what? I, I'm not saying. Um, okay, my bad. I'm gonna retract that. You should. It's not like you should know anything. I should right? know. I should know. This, <laughs> I always say I'm ilocano. I'm ilocano. I should know at least a few other places other than vegan. Okay. Yeah, but that's regionally though, so you didn't know. It's okay. 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 Continue. First time so, in Lawag. Right. Okay. And um. This was in 2016. 2015? 20, wait, 2017, because COA was like one or something. I remember like, yeah, okay. So there's nothing like sitting at the table with all the elders, right? You know, especially around the time where either like there's a huge event, like, you know, someone just passed away or they're about to pass away, you know, like everyone's like, you know, Remember when that's why we came up with casino talks? Because that's like how people figure mm-hmm. out like business-wise or like mm-hmm. how to proceed with, you know, um, planning for X, Y, and Z. And so that's what it was. I was like sitting at the table and they were like uh, storytelling. And then my, my tita, my tita Rose, was talking about, because um, I knew nothing about my Lolo. Nothing. And they were telling me these stories about like how he was like the village um, numerologist. Like he could by numbers tell where some, like, you know, they would come to him and then like barter, like they would bring him things and uh, to ask for like, Hey, can you foresee this? Or do you know, like a, like a truth, truth teller, right? Or mm-hmm. a, a mm-hmm. um, seer. And, and he did it without any, um, like with, with humility, he, he never really charged anyone. But, but um, the funny thing was, so he knew shit, right? Through numbers, basically. Like he could like throw shit out and like numbers like, oh yeah, that's there, this is there, whatever, whatever, right? So they, they lean on him. But then my mate the Rose would talk about like, that's why we could never get away with anything because he knew where the fuck we were. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he would like do his numerology shit and like because you know back then like how are you to know where someone is if they're uh-huh. out and about like if you're like a youth ain't no gps know, on their phone galavanting, there's no galavanting. GPS, you know there's no um central place or whatever like here like i remember when my when i would get in trouble they he you knew to find me at the arcade you know like to go there but like there was nothing like that and mm-hmm. he would just always know. He, they couldn't get away with shit. And um, yeah, there was just a lot of uh, stories around like his, his, his gift, gifting. Like he, he just couldn't see things um, through numbers. And did you ever meet this Lola in person? No. No. But then I, um, now, or at that point, I was like, holy shit, because for, for so long, I have been attached to uh, n- numbers and, and messaging. That's why you'll see my, like, uh, what is it, my email or my Instagram is stephrock333, you know? Three three three. I never asked why it's 333. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that, that that was like dating back to high school. I didn't know that 333 was a thing, you know? Oh, and then, I don't know it's a thing. What is it? It's a thing? But it, yeah, well, so if you look at like um, 
the meanings of uh, sequences of numbers in three, like th there's certain messaging. Uh, if you believe that, you know, I'm not trying to promote that, but just saying like, you know, for instance, three through three is like, okay, you, you are connected to the divine. Like you are surrounded by your ancestors and loved and guided and such. Mm. Yeah. The only numbers I try to get are these phone numbers, but then it's just <laughs> changed into Instagram handles. But what what what's funny is my homie when we work out, right? He wants to do reps in sevens. I was like, what the fuck? When I said, all right, do fifteen reps of this, he's like, I'm gonna do fourteen. Or like when when it's like fifteen, he's like. I'm going to do 21. I was like, what are you doing? And then I just went along. I was like, okay. But he's also into the numbers like that. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's interesting. I've never, I, I actually want to find something cool in my family. So when we do like these talks, I'm like, hey, hey, hey. Was there anybody who's like a, a, a babaylan in our family? Was there yeah, anybody who's right? like a, a uh, arbolario, right? The one who, that does healing with the herbs and stuff like that. And then my, especially like in Ilocos. And they're like, no, we just do business. <laughs> I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Nah. <laughs> There's gotta be someone. They're withholding <laughs> Is there secrets. Any, and then like, did you ever see any any mananangal or any <laughs> any any of those like the the guy who's around the the capre in the mango tree stuff? Like, yes. So mm. that that's what I'm saying. Like you know, and it's just making these connections going back home. Like I, that was like considered home, right? Mm, mm, mm. And wow, like how powerful that was to like how healing that was to know like, okay, I'm not just tripping like these number thing. The number thing is not a thing. Like it's, it's actually, uh, you know, so it's healing my, for you to kind of see a connection. To make the with, connection. Yeah. Yeah. My Lolo, who my mom, you know, never, not necessarily was able to talk so much about, you know? There's some power in making those connections. And that's why I feel like Kuantuhan and telling stories mm, and being curious, mm, asking mm. about what's, what's happened along your history, you know, mm -hmm. is so important. And why, I mean, if we're going to bring it back to the community center, like that's what we're trying to do is like create the spaces to be able to do that, to preserve and to remember and restore mm, those, mm. those, those moments. Mm, mm. Uh, yeah, and so yeah, that was a moment I was like, oh shit, okay, well, I guess I'm not tripping about these numbers, like, mm -hmm. I'm obsessed with the numbers. And my mom wanted to be a mathematician, I don't, and she's a nurse, she <laughs> wants to be a mathematician. No, I, I asked her, I was like, hey, mom, what did you want to be when you grew up? And she's like, a mathematician. I'm like, what? Interesting, and she's and she's a she, she, you know, she was she became a nurse which is great too, but like, you know. Yeah, yeah, like that. Who wants, that I, know, I don't know anyone who's ever said, <laughs> what I want to be a mathematician, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Interesting. Uh, um, I want to make this note though, uh, from my observations uh, before we close out, right? Coming more to the end now. But what stood out to me from seeing you and Christy do your work, right, for FMHI was that y'all 
are very good, and it comes across in this conversation about making it a community thing, right? Always bringing it, even if you and Christy have taken the lead as the co-chairs and submitting, going through all that process, y'all are very consistent in acknowledging, hey, this is our thing. This is a community thing. There's people that have come before us and we're building on that. I think that's very important and is very powerful to see. And, uh, you know, I'm just saying this as gratitude. Like, it's, it's, it's different. And I was also thinking about this. It's kind of different having females and women in the lead versus... I, I'm making generalizations, of course, right now, right? But versus some other organizations where it might be the traditional man-dude who's a little bit more like, da 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 I don't know if that's making my point. <laughs> but da 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 It's easier to act it out than, than explain it. But, but that's my point, right? Versus yours and Christy's approach is like very, la-da-da-da, and us. Right, very. Ah, dude. Sorry, I can't. That's a good explanation, right? You see the that difference, is, right? But it's no a great words. explanation. Like, yeah. Right, it's, you're good with the words. You're good with the written words, and that this is my. That's how I bring it across, right? We have our strengths, <laughs> yeah. right? But you know, you get the point, though, right? Yeah. There's a different way of leadership, and I've been seeing that come across, and I wanted to name that, right, or act mm -hmm. it out. Right. <laughs> in, in this sense, because it's something very important. And I think it's very, you know, even though you and at the same time, also, even if you and Christy also do that, I think it's also important. That's why I reached out to to talk to you to highlight the work that the leaders are currently doing. Right. That y'all have pushed this. Right. And it, it, it requires leaders to to do the work to push it forward and have the community support to do it, right? Um, I want to ask in a more broad thing, uh, since it's a very contemporary thing right now, what have, before we close out, what have you learned uh, from this process, right, uh, of doing the the lead up into the proposal since y'all were already doing these community investigations and stakeholder assessments and then through actually uh, submitting the proposal then finally having that fucking day on the 27th of hearing the approve 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 and then getting it approved what have you learned through this process what have i learned <clears throat> I mean, quite a few things in terms of like, just realizing that it, it it's a vision that has uh, existed years ago. Like this is something that folks, I mean, not even just through like the focus groups and, and all that, but I, I was getting like texts and like DMs from folks when they found out about this and they're like, dang, you know, oh man, 10 years ago, I was wondering why we didn't have this kind of space. And, you know, we've been trying to figure out how to da 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 da, da. And, and so it, the beauty of collective consciousness, like we, 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 
we're all, it's, it's all timing. That's what I learned. Like just to really trust in the timing of things. Like it may have not worked out two years ago. Right. Um, and I guess that's where my uh, spirituality comes in is just, it's just trusting like in the process that there is a time for the things. And, um, and a, a prime example I would say is you, uh, Kuya Chris, like, um, had I met you three years ago, I don't know if this would have necessarily aligned in terms of like the work that you've contributed to um, FMHI and, and community and, you know, just really seeing all of this come forward, you know, like, yeah. So from a spiritual lens, timing, you know, divine timing and things. Divine um, timing. Mm -hmm, the whispers of the divine. Whispers of the divine. Says like Ate Marnell. Yeah, and put trust into it. action. Trust it. Trust, trust it. Trust it. the divine. Trust it. Listen to yes. it. And yeah. Steph, Steph, you trusted the divine when you were trying to play Next. matchmaker on Instagram for, <laughs> and you tried to hook me up. But I appreciate. It. I trusted it, but also you know I had to trust the divine that it wasn't there. The divine spark wasn't there yet. But you you trusted on your end the timing of it. I appreciate that. Ah, ah, so, ah okay. <laughs> so that's how that's how you actually get on the podcast by trying to matchmake me with someone. <laughs> I think that's, <laughs> that's your, that, and then that's the plug, right? Like that's really what this is about. This is like divine timing. <laughs> hey, so Christian, how do I get on the podcast? Watch this episode. Well, well <laughs> let me tell you what forward. Steph did. <laughs> fast forward to the end and listen to <laughs> this little magic. section of uh, what the, if you truly understand divine timing, please watch <laughs> this section. <laughs> Hey, but you got some gems and nuggets from that you said, right? Yes, yes, so you yes. Have like, you I got know, some, some learnings. I got some learnings from that. Cool. Uh, yeah. The last question I'd like to ask folks is, you know, on reflection, we didn't get your full trajectory from undergrad to postgrad and all that, but we got a little snippet and we got kind of where you're at right now and what you've contributed, right? If you think back, ooh, maybe even think back to that 19-year-old self or mm -hmm. the one going through that transition from the transitional housing to a pretty big career change into this expressive arts and mental health and wellness kind of career path, what are three pieces of advice, three, Oh, number three, 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 three. Ay, oh, ay, so what much pressure. Three, what are three pieces of advice <laughs> that you would give to your younger self? Right? It doesn't have to be fixed in that certain time frame of your life, right? Okay. Whether that's young, okay. sacred heart prep girl, or older. What are three pieces of advice that you would give to your younger self with the thought that, you know, you're, you have certain specific stories, but also very community stories that other people experience. They might be going through similar things as you right now. What are three pieces of advice you would give? Wow. I feel like I need to do some journaling for like an hour <laughs> before I answer this. 
Um, because I'm like held responsible. But uh, okay, so three <laughs> pieces of advice. Um, one, you are not alone. You are not alone, and it feels like that on the worst day, and there are people who really love and care for you. Um, so ju just try to wake up, you know, and um, reach out, you know, because there's someone out there that can see you. Um, and it might not be the therapist or the counselor, you know, <laughs> uh, that, yeah. <laughs> um, just kidding. No, actually now, I'm sorry. I want to reframe that because now there's hella folks. And mm. so I would say reach out to your counselor now because there are hella folks. I will say within the Jefferson Union High School District, I will name quite a few who understand and see you. So reach out. Don't underestimate the power of like the support of your teachers also. Um, and when someone asks, are you okay? Really answer that. Like, if you're not okay, it's okay not to be okay. Mm. Um, I don't know if that's like, so did I just answer? Did I just do two? <laughs> Is that two? That was one. That was one, right? One. Okay. That uh, you, gave, you gave the you're not alone, but with little practical steps uh, to, okay. Yeah. to okay. reach out. Okay. okay. Number two. Uh, number two, I would say, is like if you really do have a dream to honor that as not just a pipe dream and surround yourself by community and people who can support cultivating that dream. Hmm. Um, and that it's... Uh, it's not always going to look the same way you envision it the first time. Mm. You probably have like 50,000 versions of it. Mm. And I mean, I didn't know what I wanted or who I wanted to be when I was 19. And I'm 42 now. And I'm just realizing, yay, yay I'm grown up, all grown up. And I figured out what I want to do, sort of. You know, like, it's all good. It's not a race. That's That's what I'm trying to say. It's like, just, just follow the crumbs um, and trust that you have what, what, uh, yeah, what's within you. And then, and then, okay. So then the third thing is like to learn, right? To to ask your ancestors, living and past um, people around you that are are smarter than you. Ask them questions. And be curious, like really find out about your history mm. because uh, in this talk, I, I'm just realizing like, yeah, I mean, if I could have had that opportunity to understand how I was connected to my Lolo or how I was connected to my mom or my auntie in this way or whatever, that that would have made the world a difference of healing. Mm. And so mm. ask, talk to your parents, talk to your, it's scary you know, sometimes because we don't talk to our parents, you know, but like, you know, find ways, find ways to like be, be curious with your, 
your elders because they mm. have a lot of wisdom and power in what they've done mm. to lay the foundation for y'all. So mm. that's what I would say. Cool. You are not alone. Reach out. Two is that, what was it? Wait, 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 wait. My memory. I, I know it. I know it. It's just the pressure of, of speaking on the mic. It's making me forget. <laughs> but to believe in your dream, right? It might not look like it immediately or in the final product, but believe and reach out to people that can support you in the community along that dream. And then three is learn, but with an emphasis on the ancestors living and not living and continue learning about things to see how the connections. Cool. Cool. Thank you, Miss Stephanie Balon. Uh, am I saying your last name right? Balon. Balon. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but I like you, how you say it. It's so it's so much conviction. <laughs> uh, do you do you have any last message to folks that may listen, or that may want to reach out, things like that? Yeah. Um, yes and no. Just more like you know, if y'all are interested, join us. Uh, we're always open to ideas and. Um, ways we can support you in your dreams and visions. You know, this is intended to be a space of uh, like a home. That's how I see it. Like, you know, just finding a home for things, a centralized home. So how can through. people, how can people reach out to you? They can reach out um, through our Facebook, which Kuya Chris will Link, yes, now. Filipino Mental Health Initiative, San Mateo as, County. As well as our newly created website that, again, creates this. dot com. And that's it. I mean, I don't know. I mean, everything's all centralized there. So, yeah. And Steph Rock 333 on IG. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I know I'm sorry, and, and also I just want to apologize because I'm hella like I'm so long-winded. And no, that's perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. Oh my goodness, this went way, way leaps and bounds above my well, like my fears of what a digital version would be, right? You know, and it's 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 definitely good uh i was definitely rusty i could feel in the beginning some of my jokes hit but i would i i'm very grateful for the divine intervention of laughter from steph at even some of my corny bad uh puns in the middle but that's all about divine timing just just try it out and you'll get the feedback whether it's good or not it's a lesson <gasps> learned surround oh, yourself with people who will laugh. That's what I'm doing. And don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> yes, don't take yourself too seriously. That is very important. Sometimes I definitely do that. Like... Really don't. I'm <laughs> <laughs> I don't. 
<laughs> you're the one. You're the one in moments that like break up the like. Oh, this is awkward moment, and you're like, oh. <laughs> oh, let me say something. <laughs> It's borderline awkward, but not really. So it overshadows the previous awkwardness. Interesting. That is my divine whisper. Oh, maybe that's when I do get the divine whispers, and I just speak it into jokes. And it's oh, comedian. Comedian. Where where is he? Dito, he's John. Comedian. Oh. Dito. Dito. Comedito. Is he a comedito or a comedian? Oh. Divine intervention. I believe mm-hmm. in it. Uh, oh, ancestrally, I've had a lot of jokers in my family. Maybe so. Maybe that's that's the thing, right? It's community well-being that we participate in through laughter and brevity. Wait, is yes. brevity the right word? Is that correct? Yeah. I don't know. If that, <laughs> I think brevity is like. I'm not uh, your autocorrect. Levity, really- levity. <laughs> One of those rhymes. Oh fuck! <laughs> well, thank you for being a guest. Next one we definitely have to get on is Christy Morales Kumasawa, yes, and then we can have wa- a breakdown. My work wife. Your work wife. That is yeah. what you have introduced her to me ever since day one. Your work wifey. Awesome. Thank you very much, Steph, for coming oh, on and sharing. Pleasure. So much Woo. fun. Woo-hoo. Let me end the recording. Perfect. Thank Damn. you, Steph. Damn. Recording. Yeah. So this is continuation part 1.5. Uh, <laughs> you wanted to actually add on to our discussion about how you got into uh, community organizing, and very relevant right now because we just started Filipino American History Month. So, yes. could yeah. you give me a little bit more context to add on to that conversation? Yeah. Well, I mean, thank you for like allowing me this space because I, I, I felt like last time we talked, uh, I glazed over the question, um, and I have a tendency to do that where I minimize, mm. you know, the process and the journey, and um, it's, uh, I just felt like it was important to give space. And honoring, like what what really happened, you know, like how did how did I get to this point to be a quote unquote community organizer, you know, um, and even in that it, within that in itself, just to be named a community organizer, it's like what does that mean, you know, um, and that was really the start of my journey was like trying to understand my relationship to community because um, ever since I was little, I had an affinity. I knew I wanted, especially in, in high school, I knew I wanted to be uh, being of service to community. Uh, what that looked like, I didn't know. Fast forward to uh, my 30, I mean, so 2009. Wait, how old am I? Wait, 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 question <laughs> though. What's When up? you say that in high school you had that affinity, why do you think you had that affinity? Were your parents like active in church, or were they like yes. doing service things? Like, how did that affinity be planted in you? The seed, yeah. What was the seed? Um, I think it was a combination 
of what you just mentioned was like I was exp- my parents were really involved in the community um whether you consider it superficial or not, or when I look back, um, but they, they always wanted to uh, give back in whatever way. Uh, my mom, for instance, she, um, she was diagnosed with cancer when I was eight and when I was 16. And uh, she connected to the American Cancer Society and we had gotten involved in like the, the, the walks, the mm. making strides against uh, um, breast cancer walks and raising money. And so uh, she really got so much out of the, the volunteer work to give back to those who helped her when she was in her process of healing. And so I, I guess I just witnessed that. And then uh, even in the church, you know, we were super involved in, um, you know, those uh, fundraisers and drives and, and such and, and service, um, serving food to uh, folks that were uh, under, underserved, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know. So, so, so I was exposed early. And, and then I also, I also was attending a school that the principles and values were based on service. So I, I went to Sacred Heart um, Cathedral Preparatory in San Francisco, and that's in the heart of the Tenderloin. And so a lot of our, um, our work, like volunteering, because we were required to do, you know, service was in our local area. And so I was exposed on an, at an early age to, you know, the realities of injustices and um, homelessness mm. and, and things like that. And it spoke to me. And I also had gone to an immersion trip uh, to Mexico my, my senior year of high school where, um, you know, only a few are selected to go. It's based on uh, your spiritual values uh, your connection to service and your um, your goals and what you want to do in community, and I think that was a life changing experience because you know I was uh, taken out of my comfort zone of uh, you know middle class <laughs> like uh, environment had you know I didn't have to worry about clothes, food, nothing like that, and then going into communities uh in in mexico where they they were not afforded that and so this trip was is really about it's called benever it means come and see and so it's like to explore your spirituality through the eyes of the people and uh you know that in in serving those communities we were also challenge to think about like what so what do you want to do then now that you know um the realities of (laughs) of this world of people who are not afforded the things that you are what are you going to do how are you going to pay it forward Mm. you know so it wasn't just like okay you're exposed to you know these communities but it's like very action oriented and that's what i loved about that program 
And that was the, I would say, the moment where I was like, okay, I, I do want to dedicate my life to service. And again, I didn't know what that meant. Um, so, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it is. Uh, and then so it does. So and before I asked you that, you were continuing into uh, once you got into college, like what the transition looks like in terms of now going into the service work. Uh, into college, I mean, do you want to know all of that? <laughs> well, whatever you want to share in terms of like, how yeah. did it become then like uh, a part of the story of how you got into like community organizing? Because I remember when we last talked, okay. there was uh, yeah. that talk about the transition from that nonprofit when you were doing uh, the homeless right? Like the housing mm -hmm. for homeless mm -hmm. folks. And mm -hmm. then that's yeah. when you went into your arts therapy after, right? But what was missing right. from that story about that you wanted to expand on in terms of like getting into community organizing? I think, well, as you, as you're saying that, I think, um, I mean, there's, 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 there's a couple of things. It's like, uh, there's a spiritual path, and then there's also this um, yearning to understand my cultural identity, mm. and um, so, and that's what that experience was in high school was uh, was more spirituality based, and then moving into college and uh, you know my first. Uh, professional experiences was um, more about community and understanding culture and such. And so, especially in college, mm -hmm. I had been exposed. I mean, I took, I mean, my, my major was in sociology, but then I, I took all the ethnic studies classes. And um, I wonder now in hindsight, like why I didn't um, change my major <laughs> because I did better in my, yeah, I did better in ethnic studies than I did in my sociology classes, it seems. Uh, but then it was a game changer because I learned about my history. I, uh, Fred Cordova in mm. Seattle, mm. fans, like, you know, he, he was my professor. And oh, really? Fred Cordova was your professor? Yes. Dope. Yeah. And uh, Connie So, her class, who I, I already knew. Her class would be hella hard. Everyone talked about it. Like, you know, she, she was hardcore. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how our real narrative looks like. As, and this is APIA back then, you know, Asian Pacific APIA. Yeah. Asian Pacific Islander American um, history. And it just blew my mind because I'm like, this is not, this is not the history I knew growing up like you know elementary school and such and i was angry i was mad i uh, felt like bamboozled all of the things and i didn't even know what to do with that information uh emotionally mm. and i um but i channeled it i mean i, I figured out like i knew i and then it gave me some sense of direction like i knew i wanted to explore it more i knew i wanted to be um in that realm of cultural identity 
especially because my brother, he uh, was a, a mentor to me, um, passed away in 2013. Like he, th that's what his work was rooted in. And he was nine years older than me. Um, Dr. Daniello Balan. Yeah. Um, that's a he, dope name, Daniello. That's, that's my, my son's name. Mm -hmm. We named him after my brother. Wait, what? So his name is Koa Daniello? Makoa Daniello oh. Balan Molina. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's cool. That's a good name. Yeah, strong name. Makoa. Uh, yes, Makoa. So, yeah, I mean, I was exposed to different things in terms of cultural identity and community service. And just, I think, in general, the way I followed this path is like following the breadcrumbs. You know, I, I, I never really had a a hard like timeline i'm gonna learn this and this and this about my you know what i want to do with my life but i kind of just i was an opportunist and and like as things came up then i i was like exploring them and um that's what happened after college like i i, I thought i wanted to go into ethnic studies and and explore that more but then when i returned because i went to the university of washington in seattle and when i came back to the bay area um you know i had to get a job and it was around September 11, too. I don't know, like, mm -hmm. uh, around that time, it, it was a hard, hard time, 9-11. And um, I found this position uh, to be a program coordinator for a homeless shelter. And that's, that was also part of my hard work. You know, when I was in, in high school, you know, I would, that's, what service was about we were in 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 this entrenched in this community you know we're going we're here we are privileged you know high school students and then placed in a in, in a community that's underserved underrepresented under resourced right mm -hmm. and so it's just grappling with that uh tugged at my heart and like like we need to do something about this this is a clear disparity of resources and so when this position came up uh, I was like yeah like I mean why not let's let's just let's just get, it, it's aligned with my values and so it was a lot of ground up work like from um, working because I worked with them for like a decade and if we're talking about like how did I get come to community organizing I, I never even imagined that I would say in high school I want to do com community organizing you know, it kind of evolved into this space because I was afforded opportunities through my work. Um, for instance, and I'm most notable, because fast forward, so 2001 is when um, I started with the agency, but then 2009 is when I started with, uh, or I was offered this uh, opportunity with the, I think I mentioned to you last time, the Next Generation Leaders of Color. Mm -hmm. Uh, institute and it um, offered it's through compass point and it offered um, an array of services in terms of understanding uh, your role leadership role as a person of color in human um, human services health and human services and that was like the game changer because I got like mentoring uh, from folks that helped me envision that I could be doing work more invested into my community, who I connected to, to help, 
to my identity as a Filipina American, right? And that's when I figured out my transition plan to, to go into uh, mental health work or uh, the mental health field, it's mostly devoted into the Philippine X community. And then here's the other thing, the so spirituality, right? Remember I mentioned spirituality and like how that's been my, my leading light through the course of my, my journey. Um, at the time, I had also um, reconnected or, or want, wanted to heal because I had been going through depression and anxiety in college and, um, and addiction because of childhood trauma and um, growing up with a, a, a sick um, parent. Like my mom, you know, she had cancer um, and witnessing her go through that whole process um, was really difficult. So, I, you know, I went through a depression, anxiety, uh, starting from, you know, high school up until, um, you know, my mid-20s. And so I needed therapy. I knew I needed therapy, especially exploring now through this program, the Next Generation Leaders of Color. I was trying to, trying to understand these concepts of internalized oppression and systemic oppression, um, the language around what I was experiencing in my, um, my work uh, was, was really difficult uh, because I, I was tokenized. I was the only young woman of color amongst uh, middle-aged elder not elder, but middle-aged white men and middle management. So if you can imagine what that was like in the early 2000s, you know, like my voice was minimized on, on every level. And with this program, it helped me realize like, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily have to be in this space anymore. I can like invest my, my skills and my passion into my community. So that's when the plan happened. And then it's like this, once I opened up to therapy and um, listening to my coach and my, my peers in this cohort, it's almost like law of attraction. Like all these opportunities started coming forward. Um, I, my, my therapist was a Panay, um, elder Panay, and she said, oh, you know, have you heard of the Filipino Mental Health Initiative? And uh, that's, I think, what hooked, that, that, I think, was what started it. It's like my going into therapy, I didn't imagine that I would find an organization that spoke to what I needed in terms of healing. Mm, interesting. You know? Yeah. Did you have a question? I kind of have, like, an uh, observation in the sense that your trajectory came through like the professional career uh progression where like shifts in the, within that field brought you to uh brought you back to the community in a way like through that empowered um uh people of color is it was it women in color or just next people? next generation leaders of color 
Mm-hmm. Cool. So with that kind of that awareness of like, okay, I can be a leader within my community uh, and also having that kind of institutional support or professional development support for you to see mm-hmm. that. Right. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think what I I think it's interesting to me because I've noticed the other way around kind of where there are people who are coming into the space from uh, like an activism uh, perspective and then mm-hmm. or some grassroots organization and then uh, trying to see on the reverse how they can apply it in a professional career sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and what's interesting is that you have a trajectory that's kind of you entered the the service work from more of a professional side. But then like mm-hmm. in that first spot you were talking about where it was dominated by uh, older white professionals, uh, not really feeling at home there, then transitioning and then finding it through uh, the empowered leaders of, of color. next I'm generation angry. leaders of My color memory is so bad yeah it's that. all good no you're and good at paraphrasing going, though going yeah. into uh even therapy and then finding those who are within your community like you said you had a penai therapist right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what what from from that kind of experience it's cool it's interesting um what would you say you have in terms of reflections for other people um out of that uh, whether that's advice or just thoughts for other people to ponder. You know, I think, I mean, as we're, I mean, just tracking the journey of this whole thing, I, I, I feel like it's just really trusting your intuition and your knowingness of like your heart work if you know that, or if you have a sense of that, like that pull to follow it. Um, I think that's what led me. And I, I mean, I don't know what that's attributed, whether it's, you know, the seed from my parents or, you know, my ancestral wisdom that was like playing out my spirit guides. I mean, whatever you want to name it, there was definitely something that was um, divine in this process for me that I was listening to, oh, the divine whispers mm, mm. Mm, that we, we talked about before, but just um, trusting in the process that like when what may not seem like what you envision, like you have this idea of what you, you want to be, you know, and what you're doing now may not relate, but it does. It totally like, I, I feel like, like, Almost every, well, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, that every step of the way, as much as it, 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 it was, it felt distanced from my, my, my vision of what I, I'd hoped to be doing, um, was all ch- transferable skills. It was all skill building. Hmm. It was all things that I could um, use. I mean, I was working within a system that was working against me, Right or against the, the people I hope to serve. And yet I still gain some, some hard skills about um, tracking outcomes, deliverables, you know, the things that you need when you're doing community organizing to have the data, like, you, you know, you, you know, unfortunately, 
this is how the world works. You know, to get the to get the money, you gotta have stats, you gotta have data, you gotta have proof that what you're doing is is working. And and so I learned that in a system that wasn't in service of me and my community and my allies that who, who are underserved. And yet I, I still found some some value to the experience, even though I wasn't completely aligned with it. So it's like a both and mm -hmm. experience and to be open to that, that it's, it's not going to be like, I am going to be so aligned with this, you know, agency. And, you know, as you're going into your career, like, you know, I mean, I'm just real, I'm, I'm, I'm in my forties. I'm still trying to figure it out. So like to be patient and gentle and compassionate with yourself that like, you no know, trust that um, these, these steps and these opportunities might be something that can offer uh, some resources to the next step to what you ultimately want to do. If you know what that is though. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I mean, you're, you're just, you're really emphasizing that, listening to your hard work and also uh, what we've been calling the whisper of the divine in mm -hmm. terms of like guiding and then applying that to even your uh, professional development or career and trajectory yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, because I would... Oh. Go, go, go. No, because I would say that like once I did that, once I was more open... Um, to talking about my personal mission, which I was able to figure out through that Next Generation Leaders of Color uh, Institute, you know, like the, the mentoring. I mean, and that's all the one thing, too, is just like find, find your, your mentors, mm. you know, that, that can guide you and be a sounding board and tell you what you don't want to hear sometimes, you know, mm. Mm. Um, and be okay with that, um, to be that mirror for you. Because once I did that, I opened up, uh, more opportunities came. I was more creative about like wh what I wanted to do in terms of connecting to my community, you know, to be with the, my, my Fili Philippinex community. I had friends who were organizers with like the, um, what is it? The, uh, we don't have it anymore, but it was the Sister City Philam Food and Art Festival back in the day. It was like, 2010 um daily city Quezon city i don't know if you're familiar with it but like yeah my my one of my my friends within my circle she's like hey you know i know that this is something that interests you you know do you want to be one of the organizers and that's when i started getting into community organizing with the philippinex community is like i was like hey so what are you doing being curious you know like and then yeah so cool like that's interesting let me a little backtrack a little bit about the that speaking on what you want to do right because i have this little interesting life experiment i'm testing out uh in terms of an observation that sometimes and i have a friend that kind of thinks along those same lines that if you kind of talk about what you're doing or your goal a little bit too much energy dissipates from it and you get the little 
the little dopamine, 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 um, not dopa kind, dopamine, uh, those dopamine <laughs> hits where like you tell somebody, oh, this is my goal. And then they're like, oh, that's a dope goal. And you get that little dopamine hit. And so, but then because mm-hmm. you get approval that, oh, that's a good goal, then you're mm-hmm. not as driven or to do it or it, energy dissipates from it. Because my other friend, he keeps everything just hidden until it's mm. released. It's right? ready. Yeah. So it's ready. Yeah. But so, and I've noticed that for myself too, right? Like if I talk about some stuff like a little too much, it, it kind of dissipates. And uh, like, for example, last year when I did my music uh, album, I didn't talk about it until it was all done, right? And time to release. But on the flip side, this is why my Libra in me, little balance. Um, I've also seen the benefits that you're talking about of sharing like your mission, what you want to do. Because even recently, even if I'm on the job hunt, I'm talking about like social impact uh, jobs that I want to get. And I've mm-hmm. had people hitting me up like, hey, check this job out, uh, emailing me some advice or some openings and messaging me on that. And you really you see that community support in a way. Right. Um it's just it's an interesting thing to think about of how much you talk about something like right yeah. but yeah. but also the energy that could be dissipated if that's a thing but kind of on the same line of what you were saying about when you share it with the right people maybe uh, it's the decision of who you share it with you get that mentorship or that guidance or that mirror right that you're talking about yes yeah no you bring up such a good like an important, I mean, I'm still uh, trying to figure out that concept of taking the risk of who you choose to share this information with, mm-hmm. right? Because this is, I mean, who who really can be, how do you know if that person's aligned with your your personal mission, your heart work, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and then the risk taking is, is, is hard because if you have a history of, um, having a hard time with rejection that's that's hard and I, I will speak to that like i um you know i think that has a lot to do with colonial mentality too like just just feeling less than or like not deserving of and um i don't deserve it to be at the table or maybe i don't maybe that's maybe i shouldn't share with them because is that worthy enough for them to hear this uh, you know like for for what they do you know what i mean like there, there's just so many self-defeating thoughts that can come with um, sharing your vision. Mm. And I don't have a hard and fast rule about any of it because it's like, you know, if that person feels like they don't want to share with it, you know, they want to keep it closed. You know, if that's, if that's what works for them, you know, then yeah, try it. I feel I can only speak to my own personal experience of like when I have shared that it's like almost like like attracts like. Uh, there's been just this unveiling of opportunities and um, natural alignment and organic like relationship building. I mean, you are a perfect example of that. I mean, we, you know, there there were and timing is everything. Or for me, I'll say it again, like you know, um, 
but yeah, it's a tricky thing because, uh, yeah, I have, I've had experiences where I've shared my passion about, you know, wanting to do the social enterprise cafe and then they're like, whoa, it's either, it's either like, whoa, that's so exciting and, and, and it's great. And I get, you get the approval, like that, that dopamine kick. And then, and then there's others where it's like, oh, okay, how are you going to do it? You know, mm. I think it's, I think it's important to like, at least for me, what I gather from that is like experiencing the range mm. of experience of, 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 of reactions mm. and responses and then gauging yourself because it's not really about them. It's more about you, right? Like mm. about how you choose to step forward in that power of your vision. Mm. You know, I mean, those are just insights from other people. But ultimately, you know, you can choose to take it in or take it on, you know? Mm. You can take it in, but you don't have to take it on, right? Mm. So. That's um, a good point about the, the importance of even those people who are like, how, okay, so how are you going to do it? That's actually important too, rather yeah. than just the rah, rah, like yes. dopamine hits. Right. No, those mm -mm. are need, those are important, and I, I yes, like you need the haters too. You need the people who are gonna be like, "You're not gonna do that." <laughs> I've seen, I, I, I seen, I seen someone try to do that. No, whatever. You know, yeah. you need that too because yeah. the truth of the matter is, you're not gonna satisfy everyone's palate, right? And if I when I do my meditation, when I have to bring myself back down, I like ground myself in the idea of like, why? My why? Why am I doing this? Am I, am I do Where is it coming from? Is it from an intention of love, you know, community, kapwa, you know, all that? That's all I can lean on, really. And if I, you know, fumble, I fumble. But those are also learning opportunities. Those are all teachers, people who are haters, people who, you know, um, will ask you hard questions and you need those. I would say that's another like, um, I don't know if you want to call it advice, but like surround yourself by people who know hell more than you. Because mm. mm. that's how you learn, mm. you know? It's great to be feeling that hoorah, you know, get that, you know, validation. But if you can find the combination of people who are smarter than you, I don't want to say smarter, but at a different level because mm -hmm. okay, it's not a competition. It's not like either or, but like folks who, who, who have different level of knowledge and also are like hoorah, you know, like, yes, mm -hmm. you know, how could you not succeed? I mean, I just feel like you surround yourself by those kind of people. I like the term of a supportive push or a supportive challenge. Those supportive challengers where you know that they're they're in it in terms of your mission but they also want to see it excel through those challenging questions right uh and i think that's very important in terms of like developing ideas especially like practical uh challenges whether it's just uh the business side right yes of, of oh that, yeah right? like okay well, how are you going to scale that how are you going to uh, sustain that what's the mm -hmm. what's the profit margins on that if we're talking about a social enterprise mm -hmm. or financial um, mm -hmm. uh, requirements right so of course those are definitely important like uh, 
like I can think about it. The people that I talk to that I trust. It's interesting that you said that, and that's good in, in terms of a perspective. Like, it's important to have that range of responses mm -hmm. because then you're able to kind of prepare. Uh, and what you were saying, I like. There's this quote uh, a lot of people say, it, right? Is don't be the smartest one in the room, uh, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. because that's that means there's no growth left uh, right. around those people mm -hmm. uh, and. It's good to be around people that push you, challenge you, and, you know, inspire you to be mm -hmm. better and almost like a healthy competition, too. Mm -hmm. I, I like that aspect, right? Like, not, not that mm -hmm. there's, there's definitely destructive competition, but there's mm -hmm. also really healthy competition in the sense that you're inspired by another person, like, dang! That. and like let, let me do that and how and get advice from them but realize yeah. that the because they've done it too there's a possibility that you can do it too right yeah the humility around that right like just coming in with a beginner's mind mm. i mean um i'm not you're in martial arts yeah yeah like yeah so you do you, you understand the like the stages of change or um learning mm -hmm. right of like beginner's mind master's mind and it's like you can i think we all have the capacity to to learn a skill but it's to but the the art of it of like maintaining a beginner's mind you know is is really challenging once you've mastered something or you feel like you mastered it right mm. like what you were talking about like when you're in the room with you feel like you're the smartest person in the room i mean like what what is that really where does that go, you know? Mm -hmm. But if you can come in with a beginner's mind and, um, you know, foster that continuous growth, I mean, it's a win-win situation for everyone because there's like, there's leaders and that's the thing, like, especially I would say with FMHI, um, I feel a sense of shared leadership. Mm. You know, that like everyone's coming in with their different like competencies of leadership and, and uh, domains and, um, what's, what's one of our, our, our value of like, you know, I don't know everything, but together we do. Mm. Right. And, and so just leading with that is, um, for me, as I'm, I'm, cause I'm going through that process right now of just, okay. Yeah. We got the, we, we secured the funding for the social enterprise and all, and all that stuff. Like, wait, now what, you know, like, mm -hmm there there's still so much room for growth um in terms of all of our leadership and, and moving it forward and um yeah uh jumping off that conversation and then kind of putting it into context uh, uh to to start closing off but putting into context that we are in uh, the beginning phases, right? I think we talked about it in the last little session about the social enterprise cultural center and then the fact that we're in Filipino-American History Month now. Uh, what is like kind of a closing call to action that you have for folks who might listen to this or, or call to action to think about or to do... Um, kind of taking into uh, and processing what we've talked about of 
the your personal story, but also the story of FMHI getting this funding and uh, the whole gamut of community organizing we've gotten to, or even also listening to like the whisper of the divine, listening to the community in that sense. Uh, what's a what's a little reflection call to action that you have? Well, considering that um, we have so much to celebrate in terms of the richness of our, our history, Filipino, um, Filipina, Filipinx, American history, um, just reflecting on, you know, their journey, like our leaders, our activists, uh, trailblazers, uh, in the... I have seen that self-reflection has been, it's not necessarily like being an activist doesn't necessarily mean you got to be being out at the front lines all the time, but like, you, you know, really understanding your why, I would say. Um, if you choose this path of, of being an activist, you know, in the community. And there's different levels of that too. So just considering that, like, you know, you don't, being an activist, like define that for yourself because everyone has a role in it. I mean, there's uh, ideas of what we envision an activist to look like um, on the extreme end of it. And then there are other um, roles that are just as important. So just to, to to reflect on that, understand the value of what you can bring to community, um, if that's caregiving, if that's, um, you know, just focusing on school, mm. if just, if that's loving, like, unconditionally, that's activism, I'd say. I mean, so just like, I guess for yourself, define what activism is. How do you define it, uh, taking into account that it is Filipino American History Month and the theme is activism? So what does activism mean to you? Hmm. I, I would I would say it's along the lines of what I just mentioned is that activism doesn't necessarily need to look like movement but stillness, uh, just really being solid in your values and um, sense of identity, um, purpose. I think that's where it starts. So, and that's what I'm still learning because I'm in a different phase of my uh, definition of activism because I've been struggling with like, ah, you know, I wish I could be out on the front lines, you know, like protesting and, and, you know, and there's just different life things happening for me. I mean, I have, I have a little one that I take care of, I'm a mama, and sometimes that that's not always uh, an opportunity, but I'm not using that as an excuse. I'm just speaking to like, you know, I don't necessarily have the capacity to do a lot of things that other folks can do in, in uh, a stronger way. Mm. Um, but I do know that I have a place. And if I focus and 
understand the why around that, then that's activism mm. to me. Just uh, how are we like ask? It's, it's more about asking questions to yourself. Like, you know, um, what it, what does Filipinx American activism look like? Can you define that for yourself? Um, so I can't say I have the answer to it, but that that's what leads me is just like this constant exploration and um, especially around decolonization, my decolonial healing journey is really important of understanding like how, you know, we can break the cycles of oppression and uh, yeah, so that. So it's really understanding the why. Not the X or the Z, but the Y. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you for sharing. Uh, is there any last things you would like to add before we close off this 1.5 session? Um, no, I just uh, want to um, appreciate, you know, you of course, for, for allowing us opportunities to speak to the, you know, to, or for me to speak to, to my story um, and be vulnerable. And also just want to offer like, you know, don't be afraid to, to share your story. And um, yeah, contact Kuya Chris. <laughs> <laughs> that <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good little marketing snippet i can cut up <laughs> <laughs> don't be afraid <laughs> yeah. cool thank you for coming on um i'll be posting up all the contact information because i think we talked about that in the last session as well uh this podcast has been sponsored by kuya coffee <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Steph for uh, giving uh, coffee to her parents, uh, little Baraco. I still have work to do in winning them over. Like you said, though, right, a while ago, you can't please everyone's palates. But me being in the food and beverage industry, yes, I can, baby. <laughs> I'll please that palate. I'll find the way. <laughs> I'm sure you will. I know. <laughs> Half joke, well, half truth. That's half, I was gonna say, yeah. <laughs> truth, truth is somewhere in the middle. Truth so. is somewhere there in the middle. Supportive challenge. Mm -hmm. All comes applying all the lessons we talk about. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Uh, let me stop. Oh, yeah. Recording. We love you. Thank I love you. you. Love you too. <laughs>